In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, You who are everywhere present and fill all things, Treasury of all that is good and Master of life, come dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. Amen. Well, we're going to continue looking at chapter 13 of John, which, as I mentioned last time, introduces this whole new section of John. Our Lord will be at the Last Supper, then at the house of Caiaphas, then on the way to the cross, then on the cross, and then in the tomb, and then risen from the dead, and uh, showing himself first to Mary Magdalene, then to all the apostles except Thomas, and then to all the apostles. Um, and so, uh, we just finished last time looking at verse 20 of chapter 13. The one receiving me, receives receiving the one I send, receives, receives me. And the one receiving me, receives the one who sent me. This is a saying which we have also in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, pretty awesome when you think of it. This is for what we looked at last week. But somebody the Lord sends, ultimately, when that person is received, the person receiving receives the Father. And so, there is a mystery here and a mystery of responsibility for the one sent and the one to whom this one is sent. Now, when he finishes that, our Lord starts this new section. And um, it's about the betrayal of Judas. Now, in the former liturgy, uh, we had a beautiful prayer, which I don't see in the present liturgy. It talked about the fact that in the Passion, there are two traitors. Judas and Peter. And so it says, oh, look, Christian, here they are. Take your choice. You're a traitor. You're a sinner. You haven't obeyed the Lord all the time. Now you got your choice. Are you going to repent and be Peter? Or are you going to despair and be Judas? Here are the two examples right in front of you. Uh, obviously, uh, we're supposed to repent like Peter and have confidence. After all, here's Peter denying Jesus, huh? as we're going to hear. And then in chapter 21, he's the one who's going to feed the lambs and sheep. So sin is not an obstacle to union with God. It's lack of repentance and uh, taking it lightly and not being grateful for forgiveness and moving on. That's the obstacle. All right. So having said this about receiving, he goes on and says, you see, having said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Now think about this. This is the Son of God, troubled in spirit. The mystics who see Jesus are with Jesus 
even now, speak of his sadness and his suffering. And this is a great mystery. He's totally transformed. His body is beautiful, full of light. He's with the Father. How come he's sad? Because you see, there's still a part of him on earth. He suffers in us. And if he suffers in us and we embrace him in it, we are helping to build the church and therefore the world. Huh? I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, Paul says, huh? and make up in my own body what's wounding to the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ are not his, they're ours. And so, you see, he was troubled. Actually, the word etarakthi, uh, topenevmati in Greek, recalls the synoptic description of the Last Supper. This word, terasi, teraso. And so we have an alert right from the beginning. And we're in a new kind of a section. You see, having said this about receiving, goes on to say, Jesus was troubled in spirit. He testified and said, Amen, amen, I say to you that one of you will betray me. What a thought. But you know, in a way we all have. That's why that liturgy prayer is so beautiful. Okay, we're all traitors. Now, take your choice. You're going to be a traitor who winds up Pope? Or are you going to be a traitor who kills himself? Take your choice. Well, if you're smart, you'll just repent and go to Jesus. And, well, I can't do that. I don't know why that reminds me of the movie where, I forgot the name of the movie and all the rest, but this Conquistador down in Latin America in the 16th, I guess, century. He'd been involved in a lot of violence and now he got religion, so he took all his military equipment and he tied it on his back and he carried it everywhere for penance. And um, one day he was going up a mountain, you know, a cliff really, and he could hardly make it. So one of the other guys just said, look, that's enough. He took a sword and whoosh, cut it, the rope. And all the, you know, armor of those days, the sword, the helmet and everything, all just ran, fell down the mountain. That's a symbol of repentance. It's a sword, cuts it, falls. And that's how we learn how to forgive each other when we know how forgiven we are by God. It's, he doesn't for, you know, forgive and then bring it up again. Never. He will help us see more and more of what we did so that we can weep tears and have more of his heart, but not because he's shaking his finger. You see? He was troubled in spirit and said, Amen, amen, I say to you that one of you will betray me. So they, you know, the disciples looked at each other at a loss as to whom he might be speaking about. Now, one of his disciples was leaning against the breast of Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved. Well, some historians work from that point because we all want to know who's this disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, who was he? At a banquet, the guest of honor, remember they're all reclining on their left shoulder and eating from the table like this, and they're reclined. 
That's the Mediterranean way at that time. And so, if the person, the, the, the guest of honor is here, the next guest, as it were, or the owner of the house is right here, next to the guest of honor. He has to be, because he's going to lean back on his breast, whoever that person is, has got to be right here. Well, that's usually the owner of the house. That's the one whom Jesus loved. Does that help us to figure out who he was? Hard to know. Hard to know. But for our purposes here, um, all we have to know is that this is the one whom Jesus loved. Huh? Uh, and so Simon Peter motioned to him and said, ask him, ask him, who is it? Uh, you know, this is a dramatic moment in all the accounts of the uh, Last Supper <clears throat> because our Lord always does this. In every one of those accounts, he says, somebody's going to betray me. And they all, not me, is it? I, they're frightened, you know. And Judas says, is it I? In Matthew, they all say, is it I, Lord? Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? He doesn't, the Lord, Matthew would not put that word Lord on Judas's lips. Too reverent. Okay. So leaning as he was against the breast of Jesus, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, this is intimacy, right? Jesus could have said, I am the Lord. It's none of your business. But he didn't. He said, it is he for whom I dipped this morsel and gave it to him. I'm sorry. It is he to whom I, for whom I dipped this morsel and give it to him. Then dipping the morsel, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. What a moment. Huh? The history of the world, in a way, hangs on that moment. After the morsel, okay, he took it, and he knew what he was doing. Satan entered into him. It's over. Not over for him if he repents, but it's over for now. He's going to set this whole thing in process. Um, after the morsel, then Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. No one knew of, of those reclining why he said that to him. For some thought that because Judas had the money box, Jesus said to him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having taken the morsel, he went out. Now it was night. Let us make up our minds right now that if we're ever tempted to sin, we're going to accept the Lord's invitation to turn from it and repent. I mean, the next time we'll meet Judas is in the garden, and they're saying, you know, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, Ego imi, I am. Huh? Meaning I am he, but I am. And they all fall back. And John is very careful to tell us. And Judas fell back with them. What a change. Here's his disciple a few hours before. And now at the very mention of his identity, he falls back into the darkness. Why are they so careful to tell us all this? Because they're saying, don't sin. But if you do sin, repent. Come back. It's not that the Lord takes it lightly. He's going to die on the cross for it. But his love is greater than any of that. And he wants out of love to die for us 
and then give us all the fruit of that passion. So, he, he went out. Now we start a new section. You see? Then when he went out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, and if God is glorified in him, uh, oh, and God is glorified in him. And then the next one is, what does it mean glorified? What? How is he glorified? This means we're going to the Passion. You see, the Passion is the most profound manifestation of love that ever took place on this earth. Even the human love of Jesus is greater than anything else. And it's a divine love as well. I've quoted to you before the wonderful phrase of St. Maximus, the confessor. Uh, we are saved by the human decision of a divine person. So, you see, it's this. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now I will get my chance to show the world how much the Father and I love them. That's the glory. When we read chapter 17, there'll be a long discourse. The glory that I had you, that you, you gave to me, I've given to them and all the rest. It's this manifestation of God. Kavod. Um, and so, uh, you see, and if God is glorified in him, and God will glorify him in himself, and God will glorify him at once. If we reflect on this, do you look on the cross as a manifestation of the glory of God? There is a way that you can pray that the Lord show you this. The saints have all talked about it and instructed us. It, it consists in gazing at the cross and looking at the open side of Jesus until the Holy Spirit takes you in to that heart. When you're in that heart, you see, takes your breath away, you see the love between the Father and the Son. That act of love reveals that love. That love between the Father and the Son is the love with which He loves us. And so, it's gruesome, it's sad, it's terrifying, but is love. That's why the saints all tell us, gaze, dwell in the open side of Jesus until you get it. Because His open side is a sacrament of the love between the, revealing the love between the Father and the Son. And there, in that love between the Father and the Son is their love for us. And that gives a confidence, a confidence to be loved like that. You can't, can't get away from it. You know? And that's the point that's being made. 